Many of you, uh, you may be like me. You're maybe a little cautious, maybe a little concerned, you know, once bitten, twice shy type of person. What am I getting at? I'm leaving on a jet plane, don't know when I'll be back again. Are you ready to leave on that jet plane again, considering what happened to many of you? And me during the summer, you know, lost bags, canceled flights, delays in security, delays to connections. Are you thinking of taking a vacation this winter? What do you think about that? Well, travel experts are predicting many of you are itching for that vacation getaway this winter. Are you ready to take a chance on traveling? You know, over the next few months, considering what's been happening in airports, not just in Canada, but around the world, are you ready to take that chance again and jet away somewhere? 403-974-TALK, 403-974-8255. Call in now or text in your thoughts. I'll get to those in a second or two. But off the top of the drive, I have to welcome uh, Leslie Cater to the program. Leslie is the travel lady. She's been on this show many times. Leslie, how are you? Uh, Ted, I'm absolutely fantastic. I'm here in Victoria Harbour. I'm on a cruise at the moment, traveling oh. from Vancouver all the way down to San Diego, and I could not be happier to oh. be out here. <laughs> good, good for you. Good for you. Well, you know, I hope it's a fantastic trip for you, Leslie. That that sounds amazing. How how was it for you going through the airport, you know, and getting to Victoria? Well, you know, uh, I've seen many hiccups along uh, with airlines over the past six months. So I definitely got there well ahead of time and had everything prepared before I went, and it went smoothly. But you know what? It, it, it's a weird world out there, and you just don't know. I have experienced flights being cancelled for clients, and, uh, yeah, it, it's very difficult and stressful. So I get that. But beside that, people, the demand to travel, the need, the desire is there. It's very strong. I bet. I bet. Um, you know, anecdotally, I, I've had similar um, similar things that, you know, yourself, you were describing with your clients there. And back in May, I had all kinds of headaches. But then I traveled to and from, this was within Canada. May was to Portugal. Um, but yeah. within Canada, you know, in July and August, I had I did not have many headaches at all. So, so maybe the kinks are being worked out, you know? Well, we would like to think so. You know, we, we know in the normal course, even before COVID, we had yeah. cancellations, we had planes delayed. Now it's all exacerbated by the fact that uh, they're short on staff, um, airport staff, airline staff. You know, it is what it is. I, I, I think the new traveler of today is a very blasé creature who is saying, <laughs> you know what, I, I get it. But I want to do it. <laughs> yeah, and, and that you'll dead right to my next question, Leslie. What, what are you hearing from clients? Like, is demand, are people itching to kind of jet away somewhere? Oh, my goodness, Ted. We are just bowled over. We cannot deal with all the requests we've been getting. Sadly, we've had to turn some people away just because we we don't have enough hours in the day. And my poor staff last week, myself included, were doing 12-hour days just to try and deal with this pent-up demand because, unfortunately, we've lost some of our colleagues along the way. Some yeah. travel agencies have closed. And, and also, I think the public feels those who were content to book online before, they think, mm, maybe I need someone to hold my hand. 
Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, it's always good to have someone in your back pocket with so much expertise like yourself, you know, to make sure that you do have your T's crossed and your I's dotted, right? That's right, and then I'm the one staying awake till after midnight. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, it's true. Oh, that's, it's funny you mentioned that. I should remind everyone, I'm chatting with Leslie Cater. You know Leslie. She's the travel lady. Uh, her website, thetravellady.ca. Love picking Leslie's brain about anything, uh, you know, travel-related. And, and Leslie, there, there, there is a kind of um, uh, news that's kind of developing this afternoon that's quite significant. Um, uh, the Globe and Mail um, is yeah. reporting that, um, you know, the Arrive Can app um, and, you know, random testing, COVID-19 testing for people arrival, arriving in the country and the vaccine requirement for people entering Canada, uh, it may all be dropped by the end of September. Global News, I should mention to everyone, right. is working to confirm this. But the Globe and Mail is reporting this. So if that does come to fruition, Leslie, that yes. must be a big deal for people like you and your clients, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, we've had numerous clients come in who've said to us, you know, I want to go on a vacation, but I'm not vaccinated. What do I do about that? And, and you know, we've said, well, you know, depending on where you're going and where you're coming back into, that could be a problem. Yeah. So this frees up a lot. I mean, and it follows the pattern that we're seeing in many countries around the world saying, OK, guys, we've been through this and we need to make things easier not just for passengers, but for local economies, because a lot of economies depend on tourism. Yeah, it's so true, Leslie. I should also Mm -hmm. mention the Arrive Can app is something that may become optional as well by the end of September. This, again, according to the Globe and Mail, the Global News is working to confirm all of this, but the Globe is reporting it. And I totally hear what you're saying, Leslie, regarding, Mm -hmm. you know, the local tourism economy, because we need people coming to this country, right? Oh, we absolutely do. I mean, I'm here in Victoria this afternoon. There's cruise ships in the harbour. The streets are full of people strolling up and down. They are buying. They are in restaurants. They are in coffee shops. And, yeah, we need this. Yeah, we definitely do. Um, speaking speaking of, uh, you know, your cruise, uh, heading down to San Diego, which I'm hoping is going to be amazing for you. Um, is is there a trend that you're seeing for the upcoming holiday season into the new year regarding, is it cruises? Is it is it flights everywhere? What are you seeing kind of trend-wise, Leslie? It, it's kind of a bit of everything. I mean, obviously flights are important, but they are selling out quickly. Yeah. So if you're looking at traveling to see family or something over Christmas, don't hang on waiting for a seat sale. Like, just book it. Yeah. Get it done. Um, as far as holidays are concerned, a lot of people sat back waiting, waiting, waiting. And now things are filling up quickly as well. So, yeah, don't delay. If, if it's over that busy season, you need to book it now. Yeah, good advice, Leslie. And of course, get and of course, get to those airports early, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness me, yes. And, and just have all your stuff together i'll just say it like that yeah because there's a lot of stuff you need to show i mean good news if they're going to make things easier for travelers with arrive can and vaccinations and all the rest of it because i've been doing a lot of traveling and i've been traveling with a folder full of paper (laughs) yeah no kidding right all those documents for sure leslie you know what i appreciate you making time for us uh, on 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 your cruise (laughs) (laughs) thank you for this and you know what happy happy sailing i hope it's a really really excellent trip for you thank you so much i appreciate it you're welcome leslie have a good evening
All Thank right. You. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. That's that's Leslie Cater. She's the travel lady. Her website, thetravellady.ca. Not only, um, obviously, is it a travel agent, and Leslie is kind of, this is her business, but there's all kinds of information on her website, thetravellady, one word, uh, .ca. Showing no signs of easing, right? Well, I got to ask you straight up. Do you do the grocery shopping in your house? Like, are you that person? Uh, I do. And my grocery cart bill has gone up probably 30%. You know, like a, a $250 shopping cart of food for my family uh, now costs me, you know, $320, $325-ish. And like you, I have changed my shopping habits to try and stretch, you know, the grocery budget. With that in mind... The Agri-Food Analytics Lab out of Dalhousie University has done an extensive survey on how you and I are doing things differently now in the grocery store because of the sky-high food inflation situation we're living with. Uh, Janet Music is joining me this afternoon to dig into this. Janet is Research Program Coordinator uh, out of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab uh, from Dalhousie University. Janet, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Okay, before we get into the details, maybe we should talk about some of the nuts and bolts. Like, how many people did you chat with, and, and when did you chat with these people? You know, what time frame type thing? And was it across the country? Just so we can get a kind of a basis for the results we're about to give. Yeah, absolutely. So we surveyed 5,000 Canadians um, across the country, and the data is weighted by age and gender within region. So, you know, we pulled a lot of people, uh, lots of representation from different provinces, and uh, it was all uh, done by our partner, Cattle, and they're out of Ontario, and they do some of our survey work. Ah, very cool. Okay. And, I mean, inflation. I mean, you're feeling it at the store. I'm feeling it at the store with my family. And it's seems like a lot of Canadians are kind of feeling this right now, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, we're experiencing, you know, in this generation, probably inflation like we've never experienced before. And, you know, it's hurting a lot of people and, and forcing a lot of people to change their behavior when it comes to food. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, um, uh, I'd like to focus in on a part of the survey where you're asking uh, respondents, you know, in the last year, have they done anything uh, specific uh, because of, you know, high prices of food and groceries, et cetera, et cetera. And the biggest thing that jumps out is people say, a lot of people say, they're trying to waste less food right now. Yes. So, you know, we never want to say that inflation is a positive thing because it absolutely isn't. It impacts a lot of people, especially those at the margins. But there is an opportunity here um, to change our behaviors for the better. And one of those ways is not wasting food. And we waste a ton of food in this country. And not only that... They think that, you know, there was a think tank that did a research on this and 63% of the food that we throw away is actually still edible. Wow. So, you know, that's a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, a lot of energy wasted and a lot of money wasted. And, you know, we just can't afford to do that any longer. So it's good to see that people are being cognizant of that, using their leftovers, trying new recipes. 
I think that is one of the positives that's coming out of these kind of inflationary pressures. Yeah, silver lining for sure, for sure. An interesting tidbit too, uh, based on the survey results, is that um, uh, almost, you know, almost one out of five Canadians, just shy of 20%, say they're buying food now that's about to expire. You know, like the, you know, when you go to the meat department, you get those 50% off uh, stickers on there because the meat's about ready to go. Um, Does that speak to, like, definitely speaks to a change in habits, right? Oh, absolutely. And we just did, uh, you know, some research on this. And people actually, you know, they really adhere to those best before dates. Now, you know, I don't want to speak to meat specifically because you can see, you know, if, if meat's not looking the right color to you, then I recommend that you probably don't eat that. But, you know, we use the best before date as an expiration date when, in fact, it's just a comment on peak freshness. So if the food actually looks good to you, smells good to you, there's no presence of mold, you can still eat it. It's not bad. It just means that it's past its peak freshness. And actually, only five categories of food have an expiration date in this country, and they're medically attributed. So most consumers aren't aren't using those diets anyway. So, you know, I think that people as they get more educated about what these dates mean, are using it to their advantage to kind of stretch those grocery dollars. Yeah, no kidding. If you can save, you know, half price on, uh, you know, beef or chicken or whatever it is you're getting, why not, right? Why not? And, and speaking to saving money, Janet, um, uh, all, you know, again, one out of five Canadians, give or take here a percentage point or two, say they're buying more of the privately labeled food products, you know, the store brands over the name brands. Yeah, this is really interesting to us because there's been kind of a national conversation about record-making profits for big retailers in in the country. And and should those big retailers be making, you know, record profits quarter after quarter? And, you know, we don't actually talk about the other side, which is the private label. That's actually those retailers kind of capturing the supply chain in a way that they don't when they're, you know, they have competitors like you think about brand name cookies, for example, you get the house brand, the retailer is actually capturing more of the of the profit in that wow. product. So the more we buy their label, the more profit they're going to make because they uh, control the inputs and they, they have control over the labor and all of those things. So, you know, that's part of that conversation. Why are they making so much money? Well, we're buying their products more than we're buying their competitors' products. <laughs> yeah, interesting, right? That's an interesting perspective. I should remind everyone, I'm chatting uh, with Janet Music this afternoon. Janet's a research program coordinator um, out of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab from Dalhousie University, talking about a survey that uh, Janet and her colleagues have just finished and released the results for. An interesting tidbit that caught my eye as well, Janet, is that uh, here on the prairies, about 13% of people living on the prairies say they've started growing their own food and and that includes my family it's interesting you know yeah you know i think one of the things that you know i'm I'm all about finding the silver lining and i think you know with covid19 even though it was very traumatic and it, it changed society in so many ways it actually enabled people to start hobbies in ways that they didn't have time to before and growing their own food is right at the top of what people had started to do because of the pandemic and 
And, you know, you just said you garden your family gardens. There's a lot of real positive impacts for gardening, not just because, you know, you've grown your own tomatoes and you're making salsa, but, you know, there's the mental health aspect and also a physical health aspect. So, you know, it's interesting to see that, you know, it came out of this fear of supply chain collapse really early on in the pandemic. But, you know, our supply chain is quite robust in Canada and we, we didn't need to worry about that. That was kind of anxiety that came out of nowhere. But one of those kind of things that blossomed, if I can make a pun, is that, you know, we started growing our own food and we've been doing it coast to coast, prairies, B.C. and the Atlantic included. Yeah, it's interesting. I I know also with my little guy, he's uh, seven going on eight. He's really keen because now he can kind of realize where the food's coming from. You know, it's from our garden. You got to put money or you got to put time in and it's got to take time to grow. And then you get to, you know, harvest your carrots. That's right. So, you know, it's debatable about whether or not that we can really impact our household food security by growing food in our own garden. That, you know, that debate kind of rages on, certainly not in the first year because there's a lot of upstart costs. But, you know, as you get better at it, as you learn more about the food and your climate and what works and what doesn't, you start to save more of it in the long run. And so you you find yourself preserving it in some way. Continuing my conversation here, part two of the conversation, I recorded it earlier, a full disclosure, just because Janet's based out of, uh, well, she's in Atlantic time zone, so we didn't want to keep her up late into the evening. Uh, Janet Music, I'm going to pick up part two of this conversation here, looking at ways... Looking at ways you uh, have told uh, surveyors that you're trying to save a few bucks at the grocery store. You know, we're talking about coupons, two-for-one specials. But what about rewards programs? Do you use those when it comes to buying food? Again, part two of the conversation now. Janet Music, Research Program Director out of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab from Dalhousie University. And I asked her right off the hop here, uh, what is she seeing trend-wise? Well, people are using loyalty programs. And, you know, that that's a pretty stable kind of situation for a lot of people. They have been, they're not a new kind of phenomenon. Same with, you know, looking at flyers. I can remember generations back, my grandmother's sitting at the table and looking at the <laughs> flyer. You know, those are kind of stable uh, parts of the grocery shopping experience. I think, you know, what happens that might be more concerning coming out of this survey is that people are foregoing buying food because it's too expensive. And so that is a real concern and, and not just people who are at the margins, but as inflation keeps rising, people in the middle are going to feel that squeeze a little bit more. And so I think that's something that we should all be concerned about. Yeah, I'm just looking at the survey results right here, as you mentioned that. Um, I'm cutting back on the amount of food I purchased due to higher prices. Uh, the survey found about 23, uh, 23.6% of respondents. That's that's almost one out of four, Janet. That's significant. That's right. And so, you know, <laughs> We want everybody in this country to be healthy. You know, we're so fortunate that we have such a variety of food that's not only shipped here, but grown here. You know, lots of people participate in the agriculture industry, as you well know. And, you know, to have friends and neighbors who are foregoing purchasing food because they can't afford it is, is it's not right in a country this wealthy. And so I think 
you know, we should really keep an eye on that. And, and, and you know, what, what is the answer for your common household? Like, how do we, we deal with this? Well, we, we share the food we grow in our garden. We give, donate to charity. We give to food banks. And, you know, and maybe we write to our, our MPs or our MLAs and say, you know what, this is concerning. Yeah. And, and please do something about this. Yeah, for sure. Janet, uh, thank you so much for your time this afternoon and for, you know, sharing the results of the survey with us. I appreciate this. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's Janet Music, Research Program Coordinator with the Agri-Food Analytics Lab out of Dalhousie University. How bad is it right now? Grocery prices in our country, um, meteoric ascent, rising at the fastest pace since 1981. Since 1981. Just some food groups, some food groups going up right now. Flour up 23.5% in the month of August. Compared to the year before, pasta up 20%. And those pasta boxes are shrinking. Same size, but you're getting like 40 grams less of noodles. You know what I'm saying? Bread up almost 18%. Eggs up 10%. Fresh fruit, produce, right, up about 13%. This is all year over year. Fats and oils, like your olive oils and that type of thing. Cooking oils up 28%. So, yeah, this is all year over year. That that hurts. That's why that, you know, $275, $250 grocery cart of mine is now $330, $340-ish, right, when you factor it all in there. child care in Alberta by the end of 2026. We're talking like day homes, preschools, daycares, both private and non-profit. Now, before we get there, you should be seeing child care costs uh, cut in half on average by the end of this year. Uh, all of those promises were made by Premier Jason Kenney, Prime Minister J- uh, Justin Trudeau, when a child care agreement deal was announced. Uh, this is a report from Global News back in November. Child care is not just a social program. It's about growing the economy as well. This agreement will help to grow the economy and certainly will help to make life better for many families. The agreement, next year on average, child care costs will be cut in half across the province. By 2026, Alberta will have an average of $10 a day child care in day homes, preschools and daycares, both private and non-profit. Another 40,000 spaces will also be created. The deal comes six months after the federal government announced its affordable child care program. When orders of government work together, we can achieve very big things. Brianna Karsten-Smith, Global News. All right, so that report from last November. Where are we exactly on this? Well, Global Calgary reporter Tomasia De Silva, De Silva excuse me, is joining me this afternoon with a progress checkup of sorts. Tomasia, how are you? I'm good, Ted. How are you? A long time no speak. It's true. <laughs> well, bring me up to speed here. Are, are we getting closer to $10 per day child care in our province? We are for some. Okay. We are not for others. Yeah. So the problem is uh, it was announced that all of these different centers and all of these different operators would be getting funding. That's turned out not to be true, unfortunately, especially for the private sector. Okay, okay. So uh, why don't we start with who is getting funding? So there were a number of spaces um, funded, and anyone who was licensed before November 2021, they get the money. Okay. But, But private places, only a few of them, 
some of them were able to get the funding. Others were not, even if they were registered and licensed by that time. Anyone who also wants to expand their centre also will not be funded. Really? So many hurdles, you know? There are a lot of hurdles, and they are, there's also like a cost control framework. The government, the federal government has told me that this is so that nonprofit centers actually see the bulk of the funds. So parents who can't afford to send their kids to private centers and send them instead to nonprofit centers, those are the ones that are going to be helped. The problem is here in Alberta is that most of the centers are private. So this has resulted in really long wait lists at the centers that are offering the funding. And a lot of arguments, I'm told, at the centers that aren't. Parents are going in. They're expecting to get that reduced, you know, those reduced costs. Yeah, nope. yeah. They're being told, sorry, we don't have enough spaces. The spaces that we do have funded are already full. We'll put you on a wait list. <laughs> Some people are waiting years to be put on this wait list. So there's a lot of anger out there. Yeah, I bet, I bet. And I guess that means that we're not making much headway toward, you know, adding, you know, those tens of thousands of extra spaces, right? Well, no, the Alberta government told me that the, it is working with the federal government to try and change these rules. Okay. So uh, they're hoping for some changes starting next year. The problem is some of these centers that have already set up are empty. So they can't wait until next year. They have no money coming in. They have to pay their leases. They have to pay, you know, their staff. And they're not eligible for any kind of payments, including staff top-ups. So they're they're threatening that they're going to have to close because these investments just aren't paying off for them. So if these centers close, more and more wait lists, more and more kids not getting child care, and how are new uh, nonprofit spots uh, expected to be popping up really quickly. They're not. It takes a long time for these centers to be created and staffed. Yeah, no kidding. And, and to get the licensing and all that that's, mm -hmm. need, that's needed, right? Is is there a way out of this, Tomasia? Like in your conversations with, you know, either the federal government or the provincial government, uh, is there a way out of this? Well, according to the sector, they're hoping for these changes to be implemented sooner. Yeah. They're saying, you know, we have the infrastructure, we have the trained staff, we have all the licensing requirements, we're following all the rules. Please just fund our spaces until you work all of this out in between the two levels of government. So that is what's happening. Again, we're, we're just hearing from both levels of government that wait, wait, it'll happen, but wait. Ay, ay, ay. Okay, okay. And I understand you're presenting all this information uh, for anyone. You're going to be doing this on tonight on the show, right? I have part one tonight and I have part two tomorrow. Tonight we'll focus on the, the agreement and what's at stake and what's happening. And tomorrow we'll hear from uh, one operator in Edmonton that has basically her business has been decimated. Wow, that's too bad, you know. It, it's It's really, really bad and... I mean, all this investment and, and all of this money. I mean, for people who don't have kids and think that this doesn't affect them, it does because this is billions and billions of your taxpayer money. Where is this ending up? Yeah, where is it doing? Where is it supposed to be, and where is it actually ending up? That's a good mm -hmm. point, Tomasia. So tonight is it Global News Hour at six? Is that when you're yes, it is. all right? Good stuff. And tomorrow too, Tomasia. Yeah. Thanks for this. I appreciate it. 
It's nice talking to you again. You as well. You as well. Have a great evening. You too. Bye. All right. Thanks, Tomasia. That's Tomasia De Silva, Global Calgary reporter. Her two-part series, as you heard, on the, you know, how we're getting or how we're doing in trying to get the $10 a day for childcare dream going in Alberta. Uh, that two-part series is airing tonight and tomorrow, the Global News Hour at 6. And yeah, the promises back in November sounded great, didn't they? $10 a day childcare available across Alberta within, you know, by the end of 2026. Childcare fees dropping by an average of 50% by early this year. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like there's some hiccups along the way. Make sure you're tuning in for the report on Global News Hour at 6. I love Tomasia's stuff, by the way, if you haven't. A big business focus, right? An investigative business focus. Kind of news you can use, especially. If you're trying to take advantage and need that $10 per day childcare, because I mean, the benefits of this regarding the economy, we all know the good side, but getting there is going to be a headache and clearly is for a lot of these facilities. And it's hard to believe what Tomasi has discovered that some of these non-for-profit facilities are just sitting empty right now because they haven't gone through the hoops yet to qualify, to get their staff in place and to get the most importantly, to get the kids in there, right? Yeah, interesting.